being Michael Caine. All Master Bruce. All right, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> it was pretty close. No, I'm cutting that. <laughs> <laughs> everybody and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Danielle. I'm Sam. And this is a podcast where one of us explains a weird piece of media to the other person who has no experience with it. That's me today. That's you today, Sam. I am the audience surrogate with no experience. <laughs> yes, it's the whole premise of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sam is the audience surrogate. <laughs> well, today. All right, so today, today I'm going to recap to you, Sam, the the classic, the wonderful, the the fabulous 2013 movie, Now You See Me. Yay! Quick Yay. question, Danielle. Yes. Is this our first proper heist on the podcast? Uh, it's kind of heisty. You can tell me during this plot if this is considered a heist. In full disclosure, I am familiar with the general premise of Now yes. You See Me in the sense that it's about magicians doing crime. but Which that is, is in the trailer, yeah. so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's about as far as my knowledge goes. So <laughs> I wanted to confirm because this is our first heist movie. That's a real red letter day for us. I know it, it. It is, and like I said, you can tell me if this this. It, I think it's kind of it's very heisty. If it falls into the category of a heist film, I don't know. You can tell me by the end of this. I'm just surprised because you and I both love a good heist, and I figured we'd have done one before this. We do, and especially ones with convoluted plans. Which uh -oh. oh, Sam, this movie, the <laughs> <laughs> bread and butter. I am excited. <laughs> <for> this podcast <laughs> convoluted plans for things that don't need to be quite as convoluted as they are. Well, they're magicians, Danielle. They have to do showmanship. Yes, and then that is. The entire premise of this particular movie. That's literally all I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Let me send you this one-sentence summary that I got from IMDb, I Oh, believe, one of the because... IMDb one-sentence summaries. <laughs> infamous for their brevity and <laughs> they're sometimes not making any sense. Love it. I just thought it would be better to not know as much about this movie since you did have a tiny little bit of knowledge about it. That's fair. So this is probably telling you nothing that you don't already know. If Hang it's just on. magicians do a heist, then that's a great summary. <laughs> And there you go. Okay, here we go. An FBI agent and an Interpol detective track a team of illusionists. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been calling them magicians. Is that insensitive? No, because, well, maybe, but I say magicians a lot in my notes, so there's no way I'm going to remember illusionists. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, we apologize to the illusionist community if we are being insensitive. Uh, you can tweet Danielle at Book Retorts <laughs> and correct her every time she says it. Please don't do that. I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> They uh, also say magicians in there. It's okay if they say it, Danielle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Continue, Sam. I'm Continue. Sorry. An FBI agent and Interpol detective track a team of illusionists who pull off bank heists during their performances <laughs> and reward their audiences with the money. Wait. <laughs> wait. I what? Wait. Reward? <laughs> is this like a Robin Hood thing? What's going on here? You'll find out, or maybe not, because this movie does not explain a lot. Why would they reward their audiences with... Popularity, Sam. Think how popular you'd be if you gave money away at all of your performances. Yeah, but also I could just keep the money and not have to perform. <laughs> that's true, but that's not, that's not what they're about. Isn't one of the younger Francos in this movie? Yes, yes he is. Yeah, okay. Now all I remember right, we the trailer. This cast, this cast is all-star. You're going to like it. I, I'm sad. I'm, I've actually watched this movie after we're done. <laughs> you might. There's actually a second one, which I have not seen, which I kind of wanted to now that I've re-seen uh -oh. the first one. And really? apparently there's a 
third one coming out, which I was like, why? <laughs> okay, wow. We might have to have a long-running series here on book retorts of <laughs> yeah. illusionists doing crime. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch the second one and I'll let you know. Or maybe you should watch the second one after this. That'd be, you yeah, can, well, I can do that. back to me. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to give it some breathing room to let this episode really marinate before we dive into episode two, More Magicians Doing More Crime. I don't know what the second one's called. <laughs> catch me if you... No. I always say catch me if you can, but it's not. Now You See Me. <laughs> Is it called Now You Don't? No, but that would have... Well, I, don't, I think it's just Now You See Me too, but it should have been Now You Don't. <laughs> That seems like the obvious thing that everyone is thinking. <laughs> all right, let's do this. This movie opens with the introduction of all the illusionists slash magicians. Illusionists. <laughs> the first one is Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, okay. I know. <laughs> and he plays kind of a... Stammery guy? Uh, no, he plays like the guy who is who knows what he's doing and he's bossy and he's a know-it-all. And Oh, okay. Well, fine. <laughs> Yeah. He goes by Danny Atlas. That's his name in the movie. Danny Atlas. <laughs> uh-huh. And he, it's, I think it's like J. Daniel Atlas, but he goes by Danny. He's a street magician who's doing pretty well on the streets. And he's doing a pick a card trick for a pretty lady that has a huge group of people behind her. And he does the trick to the camera, which is kind of cool. And at the end of it, he's like, you got your card. You figured out which, which card you want. And she goes, yeah. And then he throws the perfectly good pile of cards into the air. They scatter all over the crowd. And the seven of diamonds shows up in lights on the skyscraper. Oh. And that is the card that I also picked when I watched that trick. So whatever they do with the camera or the trick is like legitimate. <laughs> it's apparently a real trick. I looked it up. So you picked the seven of diamonds as well? Like, Yes, I did. They actually let you do it with the person. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they do it to the camera so you can see all the... He, likes, he kind of shuffles the cards in front of the camera so you can see them all in like a row and whatever. If I, it's an actual trick. According to IMDb, it's like a real trick. Oh, so it's a card force where they basically force you to pick a yes, card they predetermined. exactly what it is. Got it. And so the the funny thing is, she never at any points the pretty girl that he's doing it do. He she never at any point is like, oh my god, that's my card on the the lights. Just uh, the audience goes wild. I'm like, you guys don't even know what card she picked. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're throwing something down. They're like, that's your no. Oh, okay. <laughs> And then there's this like mysterious person in a hoodie that's in the background that's just watching. Ooh, probably from the Magician Secret Council. You remember that show about the masked magician who gave away all the secrets for tricks and they're like supposedly getting death threats in the mail from magicians? No, that's like half the plot of this movie. So good job. <laughs> Back in the day, there was this guy called the masked magician. He always wore a mask to protect his identity because what they would do is they'd do the whole thing. We're going to show you a trick. The Houdini's famous whatever. And then we'll show you how it's done. You know, never before secret that we're giving out and it's putting our crew in danger, which is why this guy has to wear a mask and we get death threats. I don't know how much of that was actually true. Interesting. But it's, there's actually a similar thread of a plot line in this. So That show was not very good because they spent well, like the entire episode of 45 better. minutes hyping up the trick to show you how it's done in like two minutes and then it was over. I'm like, well, that's very disappointing. <laughs> All right. Next, the next introduction Sorry. of the character. That was, that was irrelevant. <laughs> His name is Woody Harrelson. <laughs> oh, Woody Harrelson. That's the name of the character, huh? <laughs> yeah, the name, the name of the actor. Uh, and he plays the character Merritt McKinney. Okay, and I'm not he is a hypnotist. <laughs> I know. I, I had to like keep going back in my notes. I'm not going to lie. There are a lot of characters in this and I could not remember them outside of their actor All right. names. We got Eisenberg and Harrelson. Got it. <laughs> so Merritt McKinney, he's doing hypnotism and he's a mentalist. Oh, and oh okay. He, he's like in a restaurant or a hotel 
bar or something. And he's doing this trick between this woman and her husband. And during the trick, he puts the woman under hypnosis and then reveals that the husband is cheating on her with his sister, with her sister, excuse me. Yeah, I was about to say that that was two very different things. (laughs) And then he like extorts $250 out of him. He makes him like pull out his wallet and takes his money out of his wallet to hypnotize her out of remembering that part of the conversation. (laughs) He does not seem like a good dude. I know. And the guy, I mean, to be fair, the guy is cheating on his wife and the guy calls him a stick up artist, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, also, we're two characters in this movie, and I'm already loving the premise of assembling a heist team of specialists, but they're all magician specialists. You have like, your illusionist, you have your close-up magic guy. It's like yeah. in the heist movie, you have your like tech dude and your face and your muscle like fixer and all those kind of things. So I'm like, why did they get this before? This is genius. It is. And absolutely, the premise of this movie is great. And I, w- I like the movie. It's not – I think they could have done more with it. Like if it had kind of gone Italian job where everybody actually got to utilize their skills and uh, stuff. Oh, they don't? It, and it, they do. But not as much as I think would have been fun, considering they all have very specific skill sets. That's too bad. I know. And the next character is a guy on a ferry, and he's bending spoons. Oh, one of those guys. A Yuri, what's his name? I don't know. I don't know my uh, illusionist and magician, Sam. He was the one that like the amazing Randy had a feud with, and he like went on a TV show, and they couldn't actually do it. And then he the was, question is now, why do you know so much about magicians? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Danielle. We all have our things that we have weird knowledge about. <laughs> Who knew? Well, I know about the amazing Randy. It's Yuri Geller. That's what I'm thinking of. Yuri Geller. <laughs> sure. So the guy in the, the ferry, it's played <laughs> okay. by Dave Franco. <laughs> oh, okay. So Dave Franco is a spoonbender Yuri Geller type. He is. And his name is Jack Wilder. And Love it. He, yeah. And he's caught. Uh, he's like, he tells the audience, I'll give 100 bucks to anybody who can tell me how this trick is done. And he's caught by one of the people watching with an extra spoon in his pocket. But then he pickpockets that guy and escapes off the ferry. <laughs> So he's not only a mentalist, quote unquote, he's also just a straight up thief who reneges on his deals. Well, Jack Wilder's not the mentalist. He's a, just the fairy spoon bending guy. Well, I don't know what you call a spoon bending guy. I don't know what the difference between that is. Like, I'm sorry. He- I don't know all the proper what, like D&D classes of magicians. <laughs> I don't know what his specific skills are. He seems to have quite a lot of them. <laughs> he does a lot of lock picking in this. Oh, he's the he, rogue. Uh, Got it. <laughs> yeah, he's like the young kid who's kind of up and coming and has a lot of skills. Yeah, he's the rogue. I got it. It's fine. Just put in yeah. D&D terms. <laughs> Our audience will understand, I'm sure. <laughs> and he, on his way off the ferry, bumps into a person in a hoodie as well. Same gray hoodie. Same gray person, I bet. And then the character, the final character, is a, she's a stage magician. She's in L.A. and it's played by Isla Fisher. This is a great cast. You weren't kidding. It is a great cast, and it gets better. You'll get there. We're we're not even done with the casting yet. Uh Uh-oh. And her name is Henley, Henley Reeves, and she is doing an escape artist trick on stage. Okay. So you have your close-up magician, your mentalist, your up-and-comer rogue, and your escape artist. Yes. And she gets dropped into a tank of water to escape. She's all bound up in chains and, you know, classic. And there's a thing of piranhas above her. Oh, yeah. Obviously. And if she does, yeah. And if she doesn't get out and within a minute, the piranhas drop and she dies. And during the trick, it looks like it's going wrong. Like she can't get out. She's pulling on the chain. She's freaking out. And the piranhas do get dropped in in the water and there's blood everywhere. And but it's all pouring surprise, out. she's in the back of the audience, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's like I've seen a magic show before. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's amazing. I guess I was reading on IMDb that apparently like this trick went wrong when she was doing it. And there was a there was a lever I mean, in the tank that she could pull. Like in when they filming it? For the, well, for the, while she was filming it. Yeah, okay. And so the actress had a lever in it that she was able to pull if to like get all the water out so she could actually get out of the tank. And the top was open so that she could swim to the top to breathe if she needed to. But apparently something went wrong during the trick. The chains got wrapped the wrong way and she couldn't get out. Ooh. And she was panicking, but they thought it was just part of the act because that's what she does in the movie. And so she was in there for like almost three minutes before they realized that she was actually stuck in the tank of water. She was underwater for three minutes? That's what IMDb said. And I can hold my breath for... Not a very long time, but not three <laughs> minutes. It's not nothing. Like I'm not like you who has the, the lung capacity of a minnow. But I do. <laughs> well, actually, I shouldn't I say do. minnow because minnows can breathe underwater technically because they have gills. But you know what I meant. A very small animal. <laughs> a shrew. <laughs> Anyway, she makes it out alive. She's fine. <laughs> I'm glad she's okay both in the movie and in reality. <laughs> I know. When I read it, I was like, oh, that's scary. <laughs> Three minutes underwater is like, that's like passing out time almost. Well, again, they thought that she was just acting. <laughs> great acting. Uh, <laughs> she's acting so well, she stopped breathing. Wow, what a great actress. <laughs> So meanwhile, after his show, Danny, the street magician, is making out with, I think it's the same girl that he was doing the trick for on the street. Remind me, what actor plays Danny again? I'm sorry. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg, right. Yes. I was, I was trying to remember who that was. Yes. And if you'd like, I could just call them all by their actual No, I'm names. going to get this right, Danielle. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> And so he's making out with her. He stops kind of like mid-sexy times because he spots a tarot card in, in, in his house on his table. And he like immediately sends her home. He just like pushes her off the couch. He's like, get out of here. And he waves her off. And she's super angry, as he probably would be. And he's like, I'll call you. And she's like, you don't even have my number. And he's like, I'm magic. I'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a great way to get rid of somebody. I got to try that. I know. That. That's one of my favorite lines in that. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, she's gullible enough to go home with the, with the magician just because she thinks he's actually magic. I mean, it's a great story, though, later. You're like, oh, yeah, that one night stand with the street magician. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not, like, obviously going with the magician just for fun. That's great. But, like, the actual thing, you got to call me. He's like, oh, I'm your magic. I'll find your number. She actually bought that. That's amazing. She stormed off. So I don't know if she really bought it. Fair enough. <laughs> so then the other magicians find tarot as well. Like Jack Wilder finds one in his pocket, Merritt finds one on the display board, and Henley finds one floating in her water tank. I swear, if this is a secret society of like magicians, I'm going to be very happy. <laughs> You'll find out. Yay! <laughs> So they all on the back of the tarot card are an address and some a little bit of information. And so they all show up to this address and they realize that they're not the only ones invited. Well, tarot card just seems so extra. Well, you'll find out. Sort of. <laughs> okay. Not really. It doesn't get into it. Maybe the second movie does. Magicians just love the drama. I get it. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. all about the, the, the show. It's exactly what this is about. So they go into this apartment room in this complex and the room is dirty and creepy and it has major serial killer vibes and they don't seem at all concerned by that. I mean, they do mention that it's dirty, but I'm just like, um, get out. Get out while you're still alive. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, this is the situation where like, oh, creepy guy at a cabin when you're going to be out there with your teenage friends, maybe you should not go to this cabin. <laughs> Maybe it's a serial killer that only kills magicians. <laughs> now You See Me would be a great name for a serial killer who kills magicians. It would be. Oh, wow. That's a great movie. I got to make that. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> like on the ball today with ideas so they pick up there's a card in the center of the living room a little folded card and they pick it up and inside the card it reads now you don't uh, and they're like what <laughs> and there's a rose sitting next to a vase of water which henley picks up and she drops it into the vase oh which no it's caused... going to be a uh, bachelor rose ceremony <laughs> yes that's exactly what it is all the bachelors come out they get to pick <laughs> 
<laughs> that show is problematic. <laughs> what it does is it causes somehow the vase to like magically leak out, like the water just starts to leak out of it, she and it literally slowly picks spills. Up a rose and drops it in the vase, and the vase. Sam, I don't leaking. know how any of these tricks work. These are lying tricks. None of these would work. <laughs> Okay, I just want to make sure I understand what's happening. Like the premise is somehow dropping the rose back in the vase caused it to leak. So if yes. she hadn't dropped the rose back in the vase, it would have just ne- nothing, nothing would have happened. happened. So if we I had assume. to rely on her picking yes. up the rose, dropping it, not just placing it gently, but dropping it back in the vase. Well, I don't know how much dropping had to do with it, but she does just kind of like drop it in there, plops it in there. These elaborate things always like one thing goes wrong your whole setup is ruined i agree and this whole movie is just things that like have to go absolutely 100 percent correctly or none of it will work and i (laughs) don't understand things like that i I mean i love myself a good rube goldberg plan as much as the next person where everything just has to go perfect but usually there's some kind of planning or foreknowledge involved that you can predict how these things are going to work here it seems like just relying on blind luck yes i mean what else would you do with a rose that's next to a vase but put it in the vase, I guess? But like, yeah, you're really relying on the fact that she's going to do that at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she does that. The water leaks out and it spills into a pattern that's etched onto the floor, which kind of like collapses into the floor. <laughs> and dry ice like spills out everywhere dramatically. I don't know why. because <laughs> it looks cool. <laughs> yeah, and that's going to be 90% of this movie, isn't it? Yeah. And nobody can figure out what's going on. Danny tries the light switch because the room's kind of dark, but nothing happens. That's a good idea. Yeah. And then Merritt reaches up to tighten a light bulb. He's like, well, maybe it's the, you know, the light bulbs that he turns it and it it activates some kind of weird projection machine. What? That's that is like in the center of them. They're standing in a circle and it projects into the center of them. And it's a bunch of blueprints, like hologram style. So they needed to have the guy. Yes. (laughs) the light bulb. Like what? They just like. No, that was weird and left. What was the plan then? I don't know. Like, I've done escape rooms with people, Danielle, before. Smart mm-hmm. people. Really smart people. And you would be surprised at how much time just spent, like, pushing and pulling on everything that isn't nailed yes. down, trying to figure out how to do something, right? Right. I've done one as well. <laughs> yeah. My point is, like, even when you're in a room that has been carefully designed to, like, show you through the process and you know it's an escape room where you're supposed to do all these, like, puzzles that have been set up for you, that's very different than just wandering into a random abandoned room be like, oh, I'm going to screw in the light bulb and let me look under the carpet and you know, look for all the clues. I knew that would bother you. When I watched this, I was like, Sam's going to hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all right, here's my question. Maybe these people know that this is something, like they clearly know what the tarot card meant. Mm-hmm. So maybe they know that to go to this random room and, and do an escape room to figure out what the heist is. <laughs> maybe. They's like, they're... This movie is very interesting in that you actually don't know a lot about these characters by the end of the movie. So what they know or don't know or what they feel or don't feel, you don't know by the end of this movie. Like, My own sanity. No- I'm going to assume this is standard operating procedure for their heisting. Yes. They have to go well, to some abandoned room. And it's like a game they play. They go, oh, what do we have to do to find the heist <laughs> blueprints this time? Oh, I got to, you know, spin the globe so it points at Madagascar. Well, it's clear that when they see these blueprints that they don't know what's going on they're like these are amazing i'd love to meet the person that designed this like they don't they have clearly Ugh. not been heisting yet i needed this danielle <laughs> <laughs> sorry all right i'm sorry i'll go anyway on. they're all looking you don't have any more information than that and then it fades to the title of the movie and it time jumps to one year later so Ugh, now i have so many questions about, like, <laughs> well maybe we'll answer them in the next little section <laughs> no i won't uh, my my Okay, I, I gotta get this out of here. I'm sorry, Danielle. It's okay. Go ahead. If you want to recruit a bunch of magicians for a heist, illusionists, whatever, for a heist, 
how would this be the best way to do it? Like, I don't know. Let me, I mean, if you were to recruit anybody for a heist, let me lure them to a room, make them solve a series of escape room puzzles, and then show them a bunch of blueprints, and that will wow them into being like, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> like, no contact. You don't open up like, hey, I have a proposition for you, a business opportunity. No, you're just like, here's some blueprints. Let's heist. I think the idea, and I can't remember the exact quote, it's somewhere in this movie. They talk about how the human desire to know how something works is always stronger than just the desire to be entertained or whatever. Oh, and so BS. Maybe, maybe that's what they're playing off of, this idea that like if you do a lot of weird stuff, these magicians will definitely want to know what's going on because they need to know how these things work. So the plan for this organization is let's be weird and convoluted so that it will be intriguing enough to this group of magicians that they'll want to join us. Absolutely. Pretty sure. Pretty sure that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, sure. Fine. I have no better idea. Let's go with it. <laughs> So they, the four of them are walking on stage. It's the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. It's a sold out show and they're performing now as the Four Horsemen. Oh, how clever. Yeah, their logo is the same thing that came up in the projection of the blueprints. Like there was a projection of this logo and then the blueprints and that's their logo now. So it's somehow connected. Okay. And it's their finale trick on stage. And they tell the audience that their plan is to rob a bank. And they have bowls full of little ping pong balls with numbers and letters on them. And they go to the audience and they let them pick a a number out, you know, an audience member. Sure. And they read it out loud and they pick a seat number. And the person that stands up is this Parisian gentleman. So he's French. Yeah, he's French. And they ask him what the name of his bank is. And he tells them and he's like, they kind of laugh. They're like, well, we were hoping for something more local, but let's do this. So they bring him on stage. So they, they, they happen to pick a French bank owner? He's not a bank owner. He's a gentleman that oh, is so from France. Who so it's is not in his bank that he owns it. It's a bank that he is a patron of. Exactly. It's just his bank where he banks. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yep. Yep. And so he's on stage. And meanwhile, in the seats is Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Oh, no! Morgan Freeman's playing a man called Thaddeus Bradley. Oh, no! And he is filming the show in secret on his Oh, that's a big (laughs) no-no. So they have the Parisian guy on stage, and the mentalist, like, whacks him on the chest and talks to him while they're all talking. So he's obviously doing some kind of hypnotism type thing with him. And then they put him in what they call a teleportation helmet. And their plan to, this is the quote that they're telling everybody on stage, is they plan to send him through space time to his Paris bank, and they'll show everybody that live on camera, and then they'll they'll rob the money, essentially. Space time. Yeah. <laughs> what is your Star Trek into my heist movie? <laughs> So while all this is happening, they introduce their benefactor to the show, who's also sitting in the audience. His name is Arthur Tressler, and he's played by Michael Caine. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> this cast, right? Right? <laughs> So everybody's clapping. And once the teleportation helmet is activated on this man, they place that on. It kind of looks like almost like a VR headset type thing, but it doesn't go over his eyes. And they have him pick a random card from a card deck, sign it, and they have him put it in his pocket. And then they put him in this device that appears on stage. And this device appears, appears magically. Henley takes these scarves like out of her pocket, throws them into the air, and they magically circle on the stage. And dramatically, this device appears. And I'm like, okay, none of that is actually possible. 
possible. It's amazing what you can do with a TV camera. <laughs> with CG. And so the device appears, he steps onto it, they put him inside of it, and then suddenly it like squashes flat and he disappears off the stage. So it looks like he's been transported to Paris. Ooh. Yeah. And then Not the camera- Not just a trap the... door and he fell beneath the stage or anything. Well, we'll get into it maybe later. You'll find out. <laughs> but it looks like he's snapped in between these two giant things and like a sandwich and the screens on stage show up and he is now inside of a bank vault like it's clearly a bank vault and he How steps into a feed to a bank vault in paris okay magic they just sent him through space time sam no like, no but before that they're like oh we weren't expecting to have to pick this bank in paris but oh we just happen to have a camera crew there from the mgm grand it's not it's like you're seeing his view of it i think it's like probably a camera attached to the oh it's like a gopro helmet. thing on his head kind of but they don't show that specifically but that's the idea i think okay okay i thought they were had a, a they were monitoring it then they show him appear like in frame in front of the bank I don't recall, but my <laughs> like in my in my head, it's just that like it's his view of what he's seeing. Okay. That that all right, that's better. And it has millions of euro in it. They're all packaged, you know, in a giant pile. And they ask him to put his card that he picked and signed and his ticket stub from the show, which are both in his pocket, and they have him put it in the pile of money, like drop it into between stacks of money. And then all of a sudden, all the money begins to spin like a tornado, and it looks like it's being sucked sucked up into the vent that's at the top of the room. Because that's how money works. Right. But meanwhile, for unknown re- for unknown reasons, the Parisian bank people are walking very deliberately through the bank. Like somebody called the bank and was like, hey, they might be robbing it, these magicians in Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't know like why they were tipped off. It's very unclear. Yeah. No, this would be like, oh, they pre-recorded this. No, duh. Yeah. Nobody would think that they're actually robbing a bank. And they make it to the vault just as euros start to rain all over the stage back in Las Vegas. They're just like pouring down on the audience. They better have and a good reason for wasting all that money. <laughs> money. So the bank vault's open and inside it's completely empty except the card and the ticket stub that the guy dropped in there. Also, how convenient is have to like convert those euros that you just got in a Vegas casino? I mean, nobody's going to complain if you got, you know, 10,000 on euro that you would go and like, I would just go and get it changed out of the bank. It's not that big a deal. Fine. The real question is like, how would you track down all these people to get the money back if it's real money? That's like true. Like the FBI or whatever would be in trouble. Interpol is involved, I recall. So they'd have their yeah. work enough for them. Yeah. Interpol's in just a second. So they end the show. They all bow. Everybody's screaming and clapping. It's a huge success. They walk off stage. Well, just give them like $10,000 in euros. Well, that every makes sense. Single, every <laughs> single member. There's like millions. Three point something million dollars, I think, is what they stole, supposedly. That's, all, that's like a substantial portion of cash. Like there would be no way that'd be evenly distributed. Also, 100% guarantee there would be a riot in that theater. People oh, would yeah, die. Oh, yeah, that was insane. <laughs> Probably. Like, they've done things like that before where money has spilled and people have just gone compl- – it's like Black Friday because Black Friday isn't about actually getting money. It's about getting a deal on a toaster or some dumb crap like that. <laughs> so you know if you dumped 3 million euros into a Vegas theater, in Vegas, people are dying. Yes, but nobody dies. Everyone just nobody like was orderly gathers the, the money and then applauds for the magicians. <laughs> That's the least believable part of this movie so far, Danielle. <laughs> I believe they're all magic. I don't believe that humans would not absolutely let their selfishness override everything else in that moment. Especially as they become more and more popular. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. All right. So this introduces the next character, which is Dylan Rhodes. He's an FBI agent, and he's played by Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> of course. Why not? Put him in there. 
<laughs> He's being brought in on the case for the magicians who are now being arrested. They were in their hotel room. They're arrested. And everybody's clapping for them as they walk through the lobby of the casino. <laughs> None of that makes sense. I mean, arresting them makes sense because they just confessed to a crime, apparently. They didn't confess. They said they were going to rob this bank and they did. Well, Yes, that's why they're arrested, obviously. Yeah, that's a confession. <laughs> well, they kind of. So we'll get there. So Dylan's super cranky. He doesn't want to be on this case, especially when he realizes that he has to work with Interpol. And it's a French woman. Her name is Alma Dre, and she's played by Melanie Laurent. I don't know who that one is. Uh, you probably recognize her if you saw a picture I did yeah, when she I came bet. on screen. And she tells him that their witness, which is the Parisian guy who gave him their bank, he's pretty useless because he believes that it was all real, essentially. He's been hypnotized. And at one point during the conversation with him, a trigger word causes him to act like he's playing violin, which I guess was one of the hypnotism things earlier in the show. Oh, gosh. Hypnotism isn't like that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And this is this movie relies heavily on the idea that hypnotism is apparently just amazing magic. <laughs> amazing. Uh, hypnotism like that was real. Wasn't there a movie I like, called The Men Who Stare Are Goats, which was like about the CIA trying to develop brain, you know, powers and stuff like that? There is a movie like that. I have not seen it. But my point is, if it was real, it would be way more utilized than by magicians <laughs> in Vegas. Is my, yeah. Agreed. So, no, that so, wouldn't work. During the, the conversations with the magicians, Danny explains that they're never going to arrest them because they don't have any actual proof. And if they do arrest them, they have to admit on an institutional level that they believe in magic. No. And then they, then, well, apparently he thinks that's true. And that they'd be even more famous than they already are. And the FBI would look completely ridiculous. All right. Proof is easy. Serial numbers on the bills. All bills have serial numbers. So you just match sure. them to the ones in the bank and say, oh, B, doesn't have to be magic. You could have stolen the money, I don't know, beforehand and then just released it after pre-recording all of that stuff. Sure, but they don't have proof that any of that happened. All well, they have, they have is proof like, they have a stolen money. That's, that's pretty good. Right. But that's all they have, theoretically. Oh, yeah. We only caught you with the evidence red-handed. That's all we got. <laughs> but they have to, like, prove that it wasn't magic, Sam, I guess. Do they have the concept. to? I mean, do you have to be proved it's not magic to be convicted of a grand larceny? Well, apparently they're still looking into it. So they're released. What? <laughs> but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so basically Dylan, the FBI agent, tries to talk big and Danny is basically like, we're always ahead of you. We're always going to be ahead of you. And Dylan gets like, really angry about it and kind of like reaches over to hurt him or something. Like I don't know what the FBI agent's plan was, but he looked like he was going to physically touch him. And Danny attaches him to the handcuffs that are like attached to the table and then points to a closed can of soda sitting near Alma. She picks it up and shakes it, and you hear, like, a clatter inside. And when she opens it, it like, pulls the, the tab. It has the key, and the soda is still inside of it as well. And uh, Danny's like, first rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room. And Alma's, like, super pleased. She's like, this is cool. <laughs> like... Funny. You're our suspect, and you just <laughs> did a, a cute little sleight of hand thing, and I'm yeah, very she, happy about this. Alma, she is really into it. Get on board. <laughs> Love her. So they're all released for whatever reason, Sam. You can be as mad about that as you want to be, but they are released. <laughs> I, I, I'm just... I don't know. Fine. The FBI realizes now that Thaddeus Bradley was in the audience. Thaddeus is Morgan Freeman. Right. And Thaddeus is an ex-magician who now has a huge business selling DVDs that are like tell-all specials of oh. how famous magicians do their tricks. He's a mass magician. <laughs> 
He is. And so they go to interview him, and Alma asks him if there hasn't been a price to telling all these secrets. And Thaddeus is like, are you referring to Lionel Shrike? No. And apparently, Lionel Shrike was the first magician that Thaddeus did one of his specials on. And Shrike tried to stage a comeback, and this is quite a while ago, 20, 30 years ago. When he did his comeback, he shackled himself inside a safe and was dropped into the river, but he never resurfaced, and he passed away. Aww. Yeah. And one of his most famous tricks is this card trick where he had somebody pick a card, sign the card, and then he made it appear inside of a of a tree. Okay. Like like literally inside of the tree. Like they had to cut the tree down? Or was uh, it like a they knot didn't, hole? They didn't cut the tree. It's like, but it's like stuck inside of a knot hole. Got basically. It. And Thaddeus is like, I didn't kill him. Shrike did a trick he wasn't ready to handle. And that's completely on him. Like that's, I don't so feel bad about that. he died, what you're saying. Yeah, he died. They never found a body, but he did die. He's missing is what really happened. Yeah, but for like 20 plus years or something. So he's running this evil organization. Got it. Yeah, maybe. It's a possibility. <laughs> so he doesn't want to help them, but Dylan threatens obstruction charges and Thaddeus takes him to this. It looks like the stage. I know. looks like the stage where they did their trick earlier, which is, is it just an open stage? Or I can't tell if he set up a, a replica of it so they could figure out how the trick was done or if it's actually the stage. It looks like the MGM Grand stage. I mean, the FBI could probably get it as a crime scene. Yeah, but it looks like that Thaddeus has been there and like explored all the stuff because he walks them through the entire trick, oh. which seems odd to me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I was like, why is this an open stage? Why did they not deconstruct the, is it a crime scene? Maybe it's a little crime scene, so they have to hold it there. I don't know. And so he walked, like I said, he walks them through the trick and this is the breakdown of the trick. So he says, Thaddeus says that the Parisian was picked ahead of time. Like yeah. they went to Paris and picked him and he was a dupe and they basically like mentalized him. That's not a word, but they basically hypnotized him <laughs> and over the course of several weeks or whatever, they like pushed ideas into him to buy a ticket to go to Las Vegas, to go to the magician's show, et cetera, et cetera. So you see kind of like little flashbacks of them doing different mentalism tricks on this Why person. Why did they just use a plant? Uh, because it's less fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you just have a plant who disappears with you after the, one of your people on the... All right. Yeah, I agree. However... <laughs> They didn't. They picked this random guy from Paris for reasons unknown. So they could use their magic hypnotism on him. Yes, which apparently worked really well because he did show up at the show. Then they palmed the balls that the audience picked out with the seat numbers so that they could, you know, read the number that they actually wanted because they knew what CD was in. Sure. And then when he, they smacked him on the chest, the mentalist, they activated him, quote unquote, on stage. So this that is basically all... Manchurian candidate the trick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the teleportation device, as you so rightly guessed, drops him to a room that's beneath the stage with a replica vault of the bank. So the camera feed you're seeing is actually the room underneath. I can't help but think of the prestige. Yes. And why they just drop him into a tank of piranhas and kill him. Uh, yeah, but it's not as much fun as him thinking he actually traveled to Paris and saw his money. Fair enough. <laughs> So Thaddeus goes on to explain that he they didn't ever rob the bank. That wasn't a thing that actually happened. They robbed the money a while ago. Well, from like I the, said. As you said, from the armored truck as it was being delivered while, like, previously. And that was never reported? Well, apparently they... Here's the deal. So <laughs> somehow they were inside of the armored truck, supposedly. This is all according to Thaddeus. So they're, like, they were already inside the armored truck. How they got into the armored truck, Sam? I don't know. They were already inside How does inside Thaddeus know? This is just how he thinks the tricks went down, because he's an ex-magician and a Apparently, this is 
his whole job. And apparently, expeditions are everything years. about heisting. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're supposedly inside of the truck. And then they took the, you kind of see this, the flashback of supposedly how this went down. And they're stopped by a policeman, but the policeman's actually Woody Harrelson. And they take all the money off the truck, put it in a car, and then they put flash paper fake money back into the, the armored truck. So they do a swap just of like, yeah. millions of euros out in the open. Nobody notices it. Exactly. Great. Oh, they're not, it's a dark road in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. And they've hypnotized people. It's a whole thing, Sam. The point they really is... They rely heavily on the crutch of hypnotization. <laughs> they do a lot. <laughs> like, this movie relies on the fact that you can magically make people do whatever you want just by waving at them. Like, I'm not saying hypnosis isn't a thing, but it's not like the Jedi mind trick. Right. And interestingly, this movie does, like, it pushes hypnotism very heavily as sort of a Jedi mind trick, but it does talk about mentalism being the ability to, like, read people well and accurate guessing and right, like cold so reading they, hot reading yeah so yeah. they do actually point out that like you know mentalism itself is not like a, necessarily a magic thing that we talks about intuition when he's but explaining then they treat it exactly like magic but they do the hypnotism as magic so yes <laughs> right. okay perfect <laughs> It's just kind of funny. And so apparently when the, he dropped the card and the ticket stub into the pile of the, the flash, whatever, the money, it like made it explode into fire. But there's no residue or smoke left behind when the flash paper goes off. Of course. Okay. But wait, so that's a, he, he dropped that into the pile of fake money in Paris? I don't know how all that happens, Sam. Okay. So even this movie's <laughs> own explanation of its trick is dumb. They say the French guy was in a replica vault under the stage. Fine. Yes. Sure doing a live feed of the money being stolen and sucked up through that. But when he dropped his card and lighter or whatever it was into the real money under the stage, that ignited the flash paper in Paris. No, I don't know where the money in Paris went to, Sam. Then where'd the flash paper go? It was in the armored truck. The flash paper. I think that's what happened. I don't know, Sam. (laughs) I didn't think about it until I was saying it out loud. Because the guy never went to Paris, which obviously. So how did he ignite the paper in the vault unless they like did that? But again, they could have been any done any time. But how's it? Never mind. Just never mind. I, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know if, that's, if I can blame you or the movie for this not making sense, Daniel. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame me because I bet the movie explained it and I just don't remember that plot point. <laughs> okay. Because it made sense when I wrote it down and now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't make sense. But it would have had to in the movie. Otherwise, you, like you, people would be like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> oh, unless anyway, we just didn't care. moving on. <laughs> It's possible. That's possible. So uh, moving on, everybody's on a plane and they're on their way to New Orleans, which is where the next gig is. And Alma is practicing card tricks on the plane. And she's super pleased when she gets one correct. She's doing like a pick a card trick with Dylan. And Alma she's like, hey, should be taken off this case. She is compromised. <laughs> she's great. <laughs> And she sees magic as like a fun thing, you know, it's entertainment. And How he dare she? <laughs> and he says that it's exploitation. It's like tricking people into thinking one thing when it's something else. No, they're both wrong. I mean, no, they're both almost right. It is <laughs> like, it depends. Like Las Vegas shows, those are just fun entertainment. The people like, what's his face? John Edwards. Those guys are exploitative jerks. So Yes. And he remarks, Dylan remarks that they've come really far in the last year. Like a year ago, they were, you know, low level magicians, street magicians, you know, selling out to small shows. And now they're like huge, like the biggest magician acts. Well, in you the give up millions of dollars at your show, people are going to come. Well, this is the first time that they robbed the bank, though. Okay, fine. And so they've become really big. And he wonders if somehow they're working, he calls it a fifth horseman, like working with somebody in the background that has really pushed them. So, so you have war, pestilence, famine, death, 
I don't know, cupcakes? For <laughs> I mean, everybody needs cupcakes when you're facing the other things. I feel like it's like a, it's like a Pandora's <laughs> box, right? You have to have all the evil things. There's going to be one good thing that goes along with them. One of those magic mirror boxes. Well, I mean, it's like a Pandora's box. Like, all the stuff came out and there was hope left in the box. And so all the horsemen come, but they're going to bring cupcakes. So at least there's that. Maybe the fifth horseman is hope, Sam. They are giving away the money. <laughs> I was looking for something a little bit more fun than just like the fifth <laughs> element where the element is love. <laughs> it's an important element. Uh, again, yeah, but also like, uh, okay, it's love. Sure. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, the magicians, they are in either like a private jet or first class. It's a little unclear, but they're with their benefactor, Tressler, and they have a lot of arguing back and forth. Like they're they're working together for a common good, but I wouldn't say that they necessarily like all get along all the Is time. Is the common good money? I will kind of get into it later. Okay. Danny thinks that what Merritt does is just tricks, which I thought was funny. I'm like, you're just tricks too. You're like, all just tricks. <laughs> all just tricks. <laughs> Except for the hypnotist, who's apparently legitimately magic. Yeah, they're all kind of unlikable characters. Like I said, we never get much character development, so I. You're kind of rooting for them because it's cool. It's ma- like magic tricks. But at the same time, you're like, eh, the only thing that makes them good people is that they don't steal the money. <laughs> but they do steal the money. Like, well, but they don't keep the money. They, that like, doesn't make them good people. people. No, but it's like the only thing that makes them I mean, it's not like they're giving them money to charity or trying to, you know, offset that uh, they're stealing from wealthy corporations to offset wealth. You about. don't know that, Sam. They we stole from a it. bank where a random people like have their money in that. Like, that's, we'll that's, get there, Sam. We'll get there. I'm sure, Ace. I'm sure there is like something where there's actually dirty money or it's like laundering for a drug cartel or something or terrorism. Exactly. But at this point in the movie, it seems like they are legitimately terrible people. They are. They're, like I said, they're all kind of slightly unlikable. Danny's this control freak that's super demanding. Merritt's like constantly hitting on Henley. Um, Danny's kind of a little jealous. It's like, it's Woody Harrelson. And so you don't, it doesn't feel as creepy as maybe it should. And Henley just kind of thinks it's funny. Like she's not offended by it that's in any way. It's harassment. It is. But there we have it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like it does, it's not as creepy as it potentially could be when you're watching it. But yes, it's inappropriate regardless. And Jack, like I said, is the new kid on the block, and that's it. That's literally their character development, Sam. All of it on that plane. I didn't know he was <laughs> the in whole a band. movie. <laughs> and so then it switches to a clip of Thaddeus's show about the horsemen, which is really just an excuse to have Morgan Freeman doing a voiceover about magic. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't need an excuse. I'll listen to that man talk about anything. <laughs> And so you get two for a good minute or so. And then the clip kind of zooms out and you realize that it's Morgan Freeman standing in a studio recording and he's being interrupted by uh, Tressler, Michael Caine, who's slow clapping him. <laughs> oh, Michael Caine. Thaddeus tells him to leave if he doesn't have a cease and desist. Like, he's like, I'm recording, get out of here. And basically Tressler says... I've done some research. You're not going to get any more than $2.5 million from this special, and I'm willing to give you $3.5 million to stop recording the special and don't ruin the, the people that I'm backing with all of my money. Why would you do that? Take the $2.5 million and then do another episode where you do another $2.5 million. That's $5 million. Well, Thaddeus declines, so apparently he's thinking something similar. <laughs> <laughs> and Tressler burns the check for drama, I guess. <laughs> Just like, I told you, magicians be drama, Danielle. <laughs> That's what Michael Caine, he's not even a magician. He's just like the, the really? money backer. <laughs> well, he's clearly like in with magicians. He has the <laughs> yeah, drama <true>. bug. <laughs> and Michael Caine basically says his bank account's much bigger. He's going to hit him with so many injunctions, he'll never make another show again. And that's kind of the end of that scene. He walks out. One anti-slap suit would take care of Michael Caine. <laughs> 
So then it's reestablished the next scene that Danny is a control freak and he has each like cast member. I'm not sure if the main cast members, but like all the staff that works are tagged with trackers. I don't know why. That's not okay. (laughs) It's kind of weird. They just like check in. He, he, he like buzzes him with a little scanner so that he like can sign them in. And then I guess he knows where they are during the during the show. And so the FBI, of course, is basically hacked into the system. So they're now monitoring them as well. And Thaddeus and the FBI are in the audience to watch the show. They're like sitting there and almost been doing all this like history research. That was one of her roles back in Interpol was to she did a lot of research. And she says that one of uh, Shrike's tricks, the man who disappeared with the safe in the water, was to make you look so closely at something that you missed the bigger picture of what was going on, right? So close-up magic, that's so the So the basis of all magic being misdirection? Wow, what a, what a, what a pioneer. Right, but he's ta- she's, and then she goes on to explain that there's this famous trick that he did, the tree trick, which I told you about earlier. And basically how that worked is that this is like the longest trick in the whole world. So like 20 years prior, when he was a younger magician, Shrike had this guy sign a, could pick a card, sign a card. And then he put it into a tree and the tree grew around it for 18 years. Yeah, because cards years later, made of paper are going to last that long out in the elements. Well, maybe it was a special kind of card. <laughs> Okay. And 18 years later, he had the same guy. He found the same guy. He did the same trick, had him pick the same card, have it signed it, and then was like, look, your card's in, like, grow, growed into this tree. Grew into, into this the tree. tree. <laughs> grew into this tree. And, like, it became one of his most famous tricks. Wait, but wasn't the guy who, like, signed the card from 20 years like, hey, didn't I sign that card from 20 years ago? No, apparently he did not remember this because it had been 20 years prior. <laughs> I remember that a magician asked me to sign a card and then be like, all right, trick's over, bye. I'm like, what, what kind of trick is that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was the trick, Sam. <laughs> to be fair, it was late while I was watching this movie. Maybe I missed something, like the Ugh, Bears thing. That's dumb. <laughs> anyway, so it's a well-known trick, but she's like, that's how it actually was done. That's dumber than just like cutting a slice in the tree and sticking the card in there the day before. <laughs> Anyway, it's interrupted. Their conversation's interrupted. The show begins. And they, the four horsemen open the show dedicating it to the FBI agents, which is very cheeky. Sure. <laughs> Encouraging them to look as closely as possible. And then there's a whole bunch of montage of all these different, literally impossible tricks, like a girl floating through a magic bubble and a rabbit that turns into a CG hat. And <laughs> the mentalist has gotten this group of people on stage and he's making them pretend like they're football players. And when they hear the, the keyword freeze, then they they will tackle the quarterback and send them back to their seats. And so he, so he's like, he tackle the quarterback and then he sends all the people back to his seats. He's like, we'll play with that later. It'll be great. Go back to your seats. And so Merritt is now, they're at the fi- finale of their show, the, what everybody's been waiting for. And Merritt's now telling everybody to, in the audience, that there's a, you know, a card with an envelope and they want everybody to write their bank balance on the card. And so he starts calling on people in the audience to read off their balances that they have in their checking account. Sure. Okay. I guess everyone's just checking their balance on their phones or whatever. Yeah. I assume so. Or they might have done it ahead of time. Regardless, he, they all have these cards that have their bank balances on them. And he's keep picking on people. And he keeps telling them the correct, like, yeah, you have $436 in your bank account. And he's like, I do. You know, like, that's supposed to be some kind of amazing thing. He's like, well, I have bad news for all of you. All of you guys have the wrong bank account, bank balance on your cards. They're all incorrect. And they're all kind of like perplexed, not quite sure what's going on. The actual on. amount is $10,000 or something. <laughs> So then they introduce Michael Caine, Arthur Tressler, back. I don't know why I have a hard time calling him Arthur Tressler. 
because Michael Caine's a great name. Right. So they bring him back. Uh, he's like, oh, this is our benefactor. And they have him come on stage this time. And they ask him about his bank account balance. And they're like, you know what? Never mind. Don't tell us. We actually already wrote it down for you. And they bring out this giant check onto the stage. And it reads over $144 million. And he kind of laughs sheepishly and is like, yeah, that's my bank account balance. And they basically, Merritt's like, nope, you know, you're wrong too. And they have the audience shine these little flashlights on their cards that they have and all the numbers start to change and then they shine one on Tressler's check and it starts to go down but all the ones in the audience start to go up oh lucky him I know so Tressler's like um what you doing with my money (laughs) (laughs) and Danny then announces to the whole audience, he's like, we brought you here under false pretenses, seeming to imply the entire audience, which will be mind-blowing in a minute. Apparently, everybody in the audience was victims of the hard times that hit New Orleans. This movie's made in 2013, so I'm assuming after. Yeah. And they were abandoned and loopholed out of their insurance contracts that were run by Tressler Insurance. Oh, no. Yeah. So someone in the audience is like, oh, my God, I have $80,000 in my bank account. Everybody check their phones. And so everybody's freaking out in the audience because they suddenly have like all this money. It'd be really easy to reverse that. Yes. Like they're giving people money, but it's just like one bank reversal away from that lot of money going back to Tressel and undoing <laughs> everything. <laughs> There's no way they actually get to keep this money. This I like agree. Bitcoin as soon as I was watching this. Yeah. And it's not like cash where you can keep it in your pockets and, you know, maybe you paid for your ticket in cash so nobody knows that you were at the show. <laughs> So then as Tressler's trying to, to follow them, because they're, they're like, that's our show, everybody, we're leaving. They snap a chain on his leg and keep him locked to the stage. And the FBI is like running through the audience trying to get up to the so stage. So they double-cross their benefactor is what the premise is right now. Yes, they double-crossed him on live on stage. If he's the one who's like masterminding all these plots, what? All right. That's, you don't know who the mastermind is yet. If it's him, then yes, very questionable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, the mastermind is what's his face with the with the dumb tree trick. Maybe. I'm not going to tell you yet. You're going to have to find out, Sam. This movie probably is not going where you think it's going. That's very possible. <laughs> so as the horsemen are trying to leave the stage, they have like little zip lines that like pull them up into the catwalks. The FBI is like running on stage and Dylan gets to the stage and he's like, freeze, you know, with his gun drawn. And of course, that triggers the audience from earlier that was the, the football players. And so they all run forward thinking he's the quarterback and they tackle him to the ground. Great. <laughs> and... <laughs> And the other agents run after the escaping horsemen. So what if he hadn't yelled freeze, but how about like stop in the name of the law? Yeah, you'd think that there's many things that they could have yelled, but they were really banking on him yelling freeze. There's a lot in this movie that requires A, (laughs) hypnotism to be magic, and B, people behave in exactly the way you'd predict them to behave, which is... I I did warn you from the very beginning is that like... (laughs) And it's about to get worse, Sam. It's about to get worse. Okay. The team on the ground that was tracking the little trackers that Danny makes people wear. Danny's wearing one too, it seems to imply, and they're they're running after him. So they're running through all the, the town and Mardi Gras is happening. Oh, and we're so, in the Mardi Gras. Of course. And so Danny does manage to lose them in the Mardi Gras hoopla and ditches his tracker. And meanwhile, while this is happening, Thaddeus is approached by Tressler in the bar of the hotel. And he asks kind of what his deal is like what's going on like how how are they doing this why did they target me and thaddeus tells him that he's not the trick he's the distraction and he's basically just a 140 million dollar distraction so they apparently took 140 million dollars away from his 
bank account. <laughs> yeah, like a bank would just let that happen. <laughs> so he suggests they just sit back, enjoy the trick, and and it seems like it's been in the works for a while anyway. Just kind of see what it has to offer. It's an investment on his <laughs> the magicians that he was backing. But tr- he's ma- angry. Tressler's angry. So he offers to double whatever Thaddeus stands to make if he brings them down. And I think the end up some ends up being like $10 million or something. Why would Thaddeus make any money bringing them down? Because Tressler's going to pay him. But he said double it. But double what? Oh, Thaddeus. He was going to... What he would have made from his specials and stuff. Oh, okay. But he's willing to double whatever he would have made on all of that. So that night, Dylan returns to the apartment that the FBI has and notices that Alma is reading a book on magic, like the history of magic, and more specifically, Egyptian spirituality and the Eye of Horus. Sure. And she tells him that the Eye is this group, the secret magician group. Oh, there it is. Good job, Sam. I mean, it was obvious. <laughs> and it's a group that supposedly protects real magic. And they only take new members twice a century. And so Dylan's like, well, what are they doing these shows to like try and get into this group? And she's like, I don't know. They could just be robbing banks, but something seems to be driving them, right? So what the working theory is for the FBI Interpol is a mysterious group called the Eye of Horus. Just the Eye. Whatever. Is taking applicants for their real magic club. And by doing a bunch of weird tricks, they're hoping to get their attention and have their application received. As opposed to the group just like, hey, the guy who can legitimately control people's minds, that's pretty magic. (laughs) Yes. Cool. That's that's the premise of this movie thus far. And so what is the advantage of being part of the secret magic club? I do not have an answer for that, Sam. I'm not sure the movie does either. Perhaps uh, Nice Me Too does. Because I'd rather have the millions of euros that I robbed that maybe I could actually use than be part of a secret magic club that I don't know if there's any tangible benefit to that to me. They make magic for the sake of magic, Sam. They're doing it for the love of the art. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, got it. (laughs) It's a pure, pure passion, Sam. Right. My my mistake. I I didn't mean to impugn their honor. So they kind of have the two of them, Dylan and Alma, have a little bit of romantic moment. It's not at all relevant to the plot, so we'll skip over it. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) He then realizes uh, that his phone has been cloned and tapped. And that's one of the reasons that they've always been ahead of them for the last, you know, hour of this movie. He's an FBI agent and he hasn't figured that out? Well, it was exact replica of his phone. These guys are terrible. <laughs> I know. So now they're tracking his real phone, now that they realize that this is the clone, and they think they have a leg up since now they know they're being tapped, but the magicians don't know they know, you know? Why would the magicians keep their real phone on them? I have no idea, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why didn't they just break it or take out everything so it couldn't be tracked? Great question. (laughs) Yeah. Throw it away. You get the fake phone. It's presumably being, you know, got malware on that lets you monitor it. Throw away the original. Yep. Don't know. Can't tell you. Great. (laughs) But they they track them down to this apartment where the magicians are having this, like a small little meltdown because everything's kind of crazy right now. And they're trying to get rid of all their like documents and stuff that are in the apartment where they've been working. Why are they melting down now after their trick succeeded? I don't know. I think it's because the FBI has really amped up their game and they're like, does the person that's in charge and like whoever this mysterious person is, do they know how like crazy it's getting? Are we going to end up in jail? Like they're just freaking out a little bit, I think, because it's gotten bigger and bigger, which is what they expected, but now it's kind of behind the scenes. Okay. 
Sure. I, they don't make any sense There's to no me character characters. development. So you don't understand, like, you don't know. There's not, it's like, it's like this movie cut stuff, but cut stuff about the magicians, which seems like an odd choice since they're theoretically the main characters. This movie spends a lot more time with the FBI agents than the magicians. This is like Rain of Fire spending more time on dragon biology than with the actual characters in the movie. Yeah, it's a very like odd choice. And I'm not All sure, right. not sure why they chose to do that because I would have focused more on the four magicians, but you see you them think. the most when they're performing on stage and you don't see any of the behind the scenes stuff or character development or like becoming friends or anything like that no that's a choice i know and i went like you don't think about it much until you're about two-thirds of the way through the movie and you're like who are these characters and like we haven't seen them in 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) it's very odd so they're getting like i said they're getting rid of all this stuff burning documents they argue about sticking together until it's all over they're like we're almost done let's push through we can get there we can do this and the fbi finally makes it to their apartment and they break in as the magicians flee out of the fire escape okay and thaddeus is sitting out front uh in a car he's watching them leave and he's on the phone with tressler so he's clearly agreed to take this deal of watching them and trying to sure i mean he's wanted to do this anyway he clearly is a magician spoiler and (laughs) 10 million dollars to do what he loves is a great idea magician spoiler (laughs) such a magician spoiler (laughs) so we find out that jack was left in the apartment with some of the important documents he was left to like finish cleaning up the the documents as the FBI was coming in. So he has these documents in his hand, which are apparently the most important documents in the entire room. You didn't destroy those first? Yeah, he was going... Well, he was going... To, I think they wanted to grab them. They needed them. Oh. And so in a remarkably creative fight scene, he pops this agent's jacket behind him and like wraps his arms in it and then shoves the tails of it into a garbage disposal and like turns it on. So now he's like trapped to the sink. He's like... <laughs> And then he takes off the agent's belt and uses it to disarm Dylan. Why are the magicians suddenly amazing at fighting? I don't know, but the, he uses magic. It's kind of fun. So he starts using flash paper to like send little fireballs at him. <laughs> and then he starts to mimic him. He's like a really good mimic. He starts to mimic him and then steals his little radio and tells the other agents to go up to a floor, like to skip their floor that they're on. And then he falls into a curtain and magically disappears from the curtain and shows up on the other side of the room. And then starts like, dumb. I know, it's great. <laughs> And then starts like shooting cards at his face. Is he gambit? What's going on? <laughs> and then it's all before he drops down the trash chute. And it was like magic home alone. It was fabulous. That sounds really fun. But also, there is no way any of that would ever work. <laughs> no, but it was great. Apparently, like during the filming of the cards getting shot at his face, it did actually cut up his face a little bit. So he threw yeah, sure. I, I imagine it's dangerous, but also he's a magician. These are supposedly trained agents. I'm not going to just be like, oh, a magician with no formal training can take me down. Well, apparently, all we need is a little bit of flash paper and some cards. <laughs> and some chutzpah. Jack steals this agent's car once he gets out there. He, like, punches one and jumps into the car and drives off. And Alma and Dylan go after him. And... There's this huge chase scene that goes on for quite a while through all, through all the things. And they get to this this bridge as he's going over, Jack is going over. He hits a bridge divider and the car flips and spins through the air, lands upside down. And then Dylan runs up there trying to get him out of the car, Jack out of the car. And of course, the car bursts into flames as they're trying to get him out. Because cars do that, right? Yeah. Well, you see the gas like coming out the back end. So at least they tried to make it look like it would make sense. <laughs> okay. 
And he, Dylan manages to grab the paperwork, which is kind of like sprawled on the side by Jack's hand, but he can't pull Jack out of the car. Like he's trying, but he can't. So he gets the paperwork, but Jack's dead in the car. Oh, poor I Jack. Know. We hardly knew ye. Which one was Jack again? <laughs> he was the rogue. Right. Got it. <laughs> poor guy. So the paperwork seems to be files. That's like, that's it. It's like summarily dismissed. You're like, oh, Jack's dead. Moving on. The no, paperwork. Really liked him anyway. <laughs> I was like, what about Jack? <laughs> what about Jack? The Robin Williams movie with the same name. <laughs> yes, that's that's what happens to Jack. He becomes Robin Williams, great. <laughs> Plot twist. So the paperwork seems to be files uh, about a safe, a big safe from the Elkhorn Company. And in the safe, there are like millions of dollars. And so they think it's the next target. So that's what he was trying to hide is the information for the next heist. So they head directly there to the warehouse where the safe is located. But as they enter the building, the FBI, it's missing. It's no longer in the, the warehouse. And the guy that's inside there, I don't know who he is, a worker or something. He's like, he's hypnotized. He's like, well, I just got a call from the FBI agents that we're supposed to load the safe to, to go to D.C. So we just put it on the truck. It's about to leave. And during the conversation, there's like a lot of heated argument. Like, I never called you. What are you talking about? You know, and someone, one of the, he points to one of the FBI agents, like, like that's the guy that called me is him. And during the conversation, someone yells a curse word and it triggers that agent, the one that supposedly called to start acting like he's playing a violin. So obviously he's been hypnotized just like Why would you earlier. leave like a, a violin calling card in your perfect scheme? Because <laughs> he thinks it's funny. Oh no. Great. Dumb. These magicians are not. <laughs> Not good heisters. I'm, you're right, Danielle. This isn't a heist movie. I'm sorry. So the truck is off and running. They're they're tailing behind it, trying to catch up to it. They decide to do it kind of covertly because they want to see who comes up to the truck once it parks, you know? And it parks in this alley warehouse area, and they're watching it covertly. And the person that walks up to it, lo and behold, is Thaddeus. And he explains that he's following them. Like, they come up. They're like, we got you. You're here for the money, the safe. And he's like, dude, I'm just following the truck the same as you are. And this, by the way, this building is the old performing area for Lionel Stripe. And you're going to look like morons when you open up that safe. And so they pull open the truck and they they have the safe cracker, like go up there. And as he tries to like turn the little knob for the safe, it falls off and they start pulling those scarves out, the ones that are all connected. So there's a bunch of scarves inside the safe. <laughs> no, just inside this area. And then suddenly the door falls um, open and all these balloon animals pour out. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I, I like that. That's a funny. fun trick. <laughs> and Thaddeus thinks that's funny and tells him, he's like, once again, they're ahead of you. And so the real question is, where did the safe actually go? Because this is clearly not it. Yeah, duh. And then right around that time, the horsemen post a video on their social media saying, you know, we're not quitting. We've got our next show coming up, our last show, and it's tonight at XYZ location. And so the agents rush over there trying to get to them. So this building, it's an outdoor venue. It's several stories tall, and the building has all these like projections all over it. And there's a projection of, of the four horsemen being like projected onto the wall. So they're like 30 feet high and they're clearly recording from another location, which is inside a nearby warehouse space. Okay. And they tell the audience this is their final act and then they're going to set a few things right. And a helicopter starts to descend onto the rooftop where the, the projections are. And so all the agents rush forward to the rooftop and almost pulls on Dylan's arm, stopping him. And she's like, you know, this is a distraction. They're not there. Like they're somewhere else. 
Let's, what let's, duh, you haven't figured this out yet? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, they, the whole movie is about, like, they really push that idea of, like, everything's a distraction. There's a bigger picture going on, and we're just not seeing it because we're stuck on these, like, close-up magic things. It's, like, the whole premise of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I got it. And they really, they're, they're not subtle. <laughs> no, they're not. And so she runs to, like, a nearby building, um, and they find the room where the recording was happening with the cameras, but they don't see them. And you, it cuts to a scene of the magicians in an elevator riding up, and they're having a little heart-to-heart about their year together, and their instructions run out after the show, apparently. They don't have any – this is the last thing they were supposed to do. And they feel like even if they were completely played, like if all of this was a scam, because they apparently don't know anything about the person that's masterminding this. So they're agreeing to do all this yes with no guarantee of a being part of the eye if uh-huh. that's their actual goal b any compensation at all except a criminal record probably why would you ever agree to do this plan i have no idea sam it's very perplexing <laughs> it's like hey do a series of heists give all the money away and then you really don't get anything out of it. <laughs> you may or may not be accepted into our secret organization that may or may not exist. <laughs> you never know how much information they know, and it becomes abundantly clear during this elevator scene. You're like, oh, they don't know anything still. There was like, no reason to do any of this. It'd be like, uh, no, I'm out. I'm going to continue my work as a magician and you know make money either illegitimately or by pickpocketing people on a boat. Yeah, it's very like... I don't understand the premise of this. And because you don't spend enough time with the magicians, you don't understand why they're driven to right. do this. Do they establish a secret society as something that's like very covetous? Like they all want to join that secret society? They all want to be part of it? I think it's like, I don't know if it's a well-known secret society. Because like I said, the new members I mean, that's twice a year. The a secret society if it's well-known, Danielle. I just mean, I don't know if it's like an underground secret with magicians. They literally spend no time on the secret society, Sam. It's just like thrown in there and you're like, Okay, secret magic society, sure, why not? (laughs) Yes, so my point is that would not be an incentive large enough to take that risk. Uh, Agreed. Okay, I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah, so like I said, they're talking in the elevator, they clearly, you know, they feel like it's worth it if they end up in jail, which bananas, why? What? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, this is a really good year, and you're like, was it? (laughs) We just had a lot of fun, did a lot of really cool tricks, I mean, this is is kind of like- All they are, like, after fame, that's not part of their character. Right. And they don't – it doesn't seem to suggest that. It really does seem to suggest that they're doing it for the love of magic, but you don't – like, again, don't know enough about them to – But you can do, like, actual magic, so why do you have to make them crime? I don't know, Sam. (laughs) Like, you can do some really cool magic stuff. Like, all that stuff they did, like, in the auditorium with the guy, they could do all that and just not have the actual crime and still do really cool magic. Right. And it's – we'll get into in a second because a little bit gets revealed. They have some motivations, but it's not like their own motivations. It's They they took on some, like, bigger picture things. Okay, great. Like like giving Trussler's money to the audience. Like, you know, that's – Yeah, I mean, righting the wrongs of the insurance complex problems we have. Right. Which we'll get into, like I said, we'll get into a little bit because there is a little bit more plot to this. But genuinely, at this point, you're just like, what the heck? (laughs) Like, why? They seem like altruistic type. They're like, I'm going to put my powers to help the little guy get the money back from this evil insurance company. Which is exactly what this kind of movie is suggesting right now. Yeah. No, no, the guy who pickpockets random people on a boat is not going to be like, oh, yeah, I really want to risk jail time FBI to right the wrongs of an, an evil insurance company not paying out all their beneficiaries what they should get. To be fair, the uh, guy who pickpocketed on the boat's dead now, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> 
Right. Okay. Great. So he's the one who's dead. He is the one that's dead, and uh, nobody seems Airtight that broken movie. up about it in the elevator. They don't even mention it. <laughs> Remember that one guy who used to perform with us? Come over with the four horsemen. Well, last week that was that was a good good ride. <laughs> what? Are the, not the four horsemen anymore. What are they? The three horsemen. I don't know, Sam. Uh, okay. Yeah. See, they're, they're like their whole act is already falling apart. Agreed. When they ought to be like, hey, where's Danny? <laughs> Danny's alive. Jack. Oh, whatever. <laughs> well, I kick you. They're all basically the same character in this movie. They are. There's nothing that distinguishes them except for their weird magic powers they don't use. That's true. I don't disagree. Again, we don't know enough about these characters to really make them feel like different people. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, this whole plan is dumb. Continue. Okay, so the magicians are now on the rooftop and they're above the production area. They're talking to the crowd. Alma and Dylan run up the stairs to get to the rooftop, trying to get to them. And as the agents approach, the magicians disappear off the where they were standing and reappear on the other side of the rooftop because magic. magic. <laughs> they tell the audience this is their last show and their their goal was to bring a little bit of magic into the world and now they plan to disappear and so they all run in tandem off the rooftop jump off of it they turn into money from the safe and then theoretically which floats to the crowd below and everybody's like money (laughs) (laughs) and the agent's reaction to this is wild sam they're just kind of like well it's you know it was a bigger picture i guess we never were gonna catch up with them you know (laughs) oh we tried our best (laughs) You were right, Alma. Like, it's about entertainment. I agree. And then they kiss for funsies, I guess. I was like, what? This is nuts. No <laughs> one in this movie makes any sense. Like, is she warning this romance into this dramatic finale? <laughs> so, uh, these people. I want to put them all off the roof. <laughs> One of the agents now rushes up to Dylan and shows him that the money that's falling on the audience is actually like this fake money that has faces of the magicians on it instead. Okay. And Dylan's so like- So they just scammed a bunch of people. They could have well, done that from the start and wait, used fake money. Wait for it, Sam. Dylan's like, well, where's the real money then? And the scene cuts to Thaddeus walking up to his car and it's stuffed with bills. And they like explode out of the car as the doors just kind of magically open. Everything kind of pours out and then the police pull up to arrest him. So the magician set up Thaddeus to be the fall guy for their crime. Absolutely. Because he was the magician spoiler. Yeah, the magician spoiler. Thaddeus the magician spoiler. Also, there's no way that would hold up in court because people are like, wait a minute. You walked up your car, opened the door, and bills poured out. That's how a crime works. <laughs> well, the doors open on their own, I think. They just like, money's just pouring out of the car. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like, How would that be like, we can't arrest the magicians and hold them even though they confessed to the crime early in the movie. But we definitely get Thaddeus because he happened to be near money. Well, they never... I guess they found the documents of the safe. They have a lot of circumstantial evidence that the magicians were involved. <laughs> yeah, but not Thaddeus is my point. Right, but apparently this is enough to arrest him. That's nonsense. <laughs> so Dylan goes to visit Thaddeus in what is literally the dingiest jail cell ever. And apparently it's uh, he's alone in this whole hallway full of jail cells. Like maybe it's a tiny town. I don't know. That would never hold up in court. I know. So he has the guards lock him inside with with Thaddeus and dismisses them and they have like a heart to heart. And Thaddeus is like, dude, I've been framed and I can prove it. And I'm willing to exchange information on on how I think this was done to get me out of jail. And he tells him, tells Dylan that he believes that they turned the safe room into a magic box, like those magic rabbit boxes that they use on stage where they use the, the mirror trick. 
So sure. it looks like there's nothing in the right, box. There's a, di- there's a 45 degree yeah. angle mirror. So the thing is empty, but there's a whole space behind it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sam, our magician's assistant here, is going to explain <laughs> to you how our magic rabbit box trick works. You should see my spandex outfit. <laughs> it's all sparkly. You'd look good in sparkles, Sam. I I would. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And it was it's one of the tricks that was shown earlier on stage. And they somehow at some point... In this giant warehouse owned by a big corporation, installed a giant mirror in the room to hide the real safe. So they had the actual safe was behind the mirror and they wanted yeah. a fake safe into the truck. Exactly. And so they thought that it wasn't in the room, but it was. And while they were dealing with all the balloon animals, the three horsemen were about to start their show. The Jack, who was not dead, was breaking into the safe. Oh, so Jack was pretend dead. Pretend dead. His car exploded, but he wasn't dead. We'll get there in a how second. Would they, how would they arrange that? Like, how could they have known the car would flip over and explode, but they could get him out? Like, that's all BS. Yes, this is, I think, literally the uh, craziest part of the whole movie. And they kind of show a little bit of it in a flashback scene. So apparently during this epic car chase through the city, they have a scene where there's like a van that is towing a car like in front of it. And so the police cars are behind it and they manage to switch the cars out. So it looks like it's still his car, but it's actually just a car that has a morgue body in it. But didn't someone up to his car before it exploded to try to get him out? Right. There was a dead body in it, a morgue. Like they stole a body from the morgue and put it in there. And so it just, it that it flipped or whatever, they just let it hit the side and flip it. And thank God nobody in this busy traffic area died. <laughs> These magicians are the worst people and their plans are dumb. Like, what is this plan? You could have killed, like, half of the freeway. <laughs> Would you want to bring a little magic into their lives, Danielle? The magic of a corpse flying through the air <laughs> and in so, a car. Luckily, so they thought that he was in there. He's not in there. And Dylan wants to know... Like, why would they go through all this effort to frame Thaddeus when they didn't even end up keeping the the money? Like, you know, they because it's not about the money, man. And Thaddeus is like, yeah, I don't know. And Dylan's like, well, I have an idea. Hear me out. So Dylan's asked the question he knew the answer to to sound like a smartass. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he says the insurer that denied the family's claim to Lionel Shrike's death was Tressler Insurance. So originally, many moons ago. And the bank that carried the note was Credit Republican of Paris, which is the bank that they robbed earlier. Oh, this is so convoluted. I told you. And Thaddeus ruined all his tricks because he'd never truly be a great magician, all of Strike's tricks, and never be part of the eye. So he wanted to destroy Strike and destroy other magicians. So that's why he's targeted. So Shrike blames Thaddeus for ruining his career, and he also is mad at the insurance companies for not paying out on his quote-unquote death. Or somebody does. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. And so it's all being arranged to take out petty revenge for this one dude. Yes, perhaps. That's a lot of effort for a lot of BS. <laughs> well, Thaddeus is like, the, okay, first off, the eye isn't real. It's like a made-up magician thing. <laughs> and secondly, someone is behind it, like someone specific, and it's somebody that has an obsession. And yeah. Dylan's like, give me a name. And Thaddeus is like, dude, I don't have a name. <laughs> okay, he doesn't say dude because it's Morgan Freeman. He's not like, dude. <laughs> Don't have a Dude, <laughs> Andy Dufresne crawled through all that super gross sewage that day, came out smelling like freedom. Cowabunga. <laughs> yeah, that was the end of that movie. <laughs> that he's like, I don't I'm, it's know. It's cool Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I'm cool Morgan Freeman. I'm hip with the kids and their TikToks. Uh. How many more TikToks would you watch if Morgan Freeman was narrating the dances and stuff? <laughs> I'm the new TikTok filter, the Morgan Freeman t- 
TikTok filter. <laughs> Put my voice in all of your TikToks. You cannot tell me that they wouldn't make millions with that idea. I, I mean, sure, as much money as they're making now, I guess. <laughs> it's a great idea. Super cool, Morgan Freeman. Uh, I would love that. This episode has so many good ideas, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad they're buried in the movie that has no good ideas. I don't know, kind of enjoyable movie. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure the premise is a good idea. Everyone's ideas in the movie are dumb. They're super done. Yeah. And so Thaddeus says it has to be somebody that has intimate knowledge of what's going on because they're always a step ahead. They're always ahead of even him who understands how these tricks work. And it's got to be someone he thinks on the inside. And he turns... <laughs> he turns, he means inside of like the whole group of people that are working together. So he, he turns slowly to face an empty cell and he's like, where did Dylan go? And then Dylan appears magically outside of the jail cell and Thaddeus realizes that Dylan's involved somehow. Of course he is. The fifth horseman. <laughs> <laughs> and Dylan just kind of looks at him and he's like, I want you to spend the rest of your life in jail wondering how you were always one step behind when you thought you were always two steps ahead. And he kind of just like walks off, not giving any explanation. <laughs> that, none of that works, Daniel. None of this makes sense. <laughs> I know. I watch Why this. is he romancing with the other Interpol girl? Why? N- n- none of this works. <laughs> we'll get there, like, sort of. If, if he was the inside man, he was a terrible inside man because like he... Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. So meanwhile, the four horsemen are reunited because Jack's not dead. Yay! And they're told to meet in this park with their little tarot cards that they got. And they show up to the Lionel Strike tree, which is this memorial tree that's in the park that holds the card, that one that was inside of the tree. And they somehow... Do you say Lionel Strike or Lionel Shrike? Shrike. Like the bird. S-H-R-I-K-E. Yeah, okay. Is that like the bird? Yeah, I'm guessing. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> <That's what> I mean. <laughs> I've never heard of the Shrike bird, but you know, carry on. You never heard of a Shrike bird? They like to impale bugs on sticks. Oh, well, as one would. Yes. That's the best way. It's like barbecue. Maybe a spoiler for audience, but if you ever remembered anything from my Hyperion recap from many years ago, there was a creature called the Shrike in that as well. I do not remember that because Ugh. that book was bananas. You could recap that for this podcast because I do not remember it. <laughs> yeah, but it would take like all year. It's a That's huge true. quadrilogy. It took uh, many uh, AOL Instant Messenger conversations to get through uh, it. Back in the day. <laughs> We're old. <laughs> I'm Morgan Freeman. Back in my day, we used AOL Instant Messenger to share our memes. Now you kids are doing TikTok dances. Watch this TikTok yes, dance he doesn't unfold. know how to say memes right. That's Morgan Freeman. <laughs> That would seem legit, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, the four horsemen somehow intuitively know that if they put their four tarot cards together... Oh, great. One of these puzzles. Like, I turned the light bulb. (laughs) So they place them together, and it somehow, like, starts to glow. It makes it glow. And they, like, hold it over the card that's in the tree, which also starts to glow. And then the carousel that's in the park suddenly, like, lights up and starts to rotate. And I was like... None of this works. Is it connected? Is it electrically connected? Why is the tree connected to the carousel? Also, did Lionel Shrike plan this... 40 years ago when he first planted that card from that idiot who he conned out of the card when he in the tree like did he wire up to the carousel knowing that his career would be ruined 20 years in the future and he'd have to uh, concoct an elaborate revenge scheme 
I like the idea that he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wire this tree card to the carousel just in case I need it. <laughs> yes. If any time the next half a century, I need to use this tree card. And it's not like that carousel is ever going to be renovated or moved or changed in the next 50 years. The other option is that there's somebody standing over by the carousel just waiting for them to like hold up the I mean, glowy that's tarot really happening. Some guy's like a – with the, like a – um. <laughs> pair of binoculars like all right are the cards close together all right i see it hit the switch hit the carousel switch <laughs> now it's glowing it's glowing go 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 <laughs> do it do it, do it. <laughs> anyway as we all know tree cards are connected to carousels it starts it up and outside of the carousel is dylan he's just standing there and they are like super sure. stoked they're like it's you this is very exciting we didn't expect this <laughs> What an interesting turn of events. Is it? And he tells them that the real magic is in taking four solo acts and making them work together. And now they're officially a part of the eye, whatever that may be. <laughs> and then he magically transports himself to the carousel. He just like appears on the carousel because that's how it works. There's a lot of that around here. <laughs> Unnecessary magical flourishes that don't make sense. It is. And the carousel seems to be spinning very fast, way faster than the average carousel. And it starts... Which is for children. Right. And then the, they all climb aboard the carousel and it starts to glow. And then it fades kind of like to black and then fades back onto Alma, who is now back in Paris. And she's on that bridge that has all the, the locks on it that people... Padlocks, yeah. Padlocks, yeah. They... They started taking them off several years ago, which is a little sad, but it used to well, have all these locks on There it. used to be like – there was a weight problem. You right. Know, it's a bridge. <laughs> it can't hold infinite weight. So but in any case, back in you know 2013 or whatever when this movie was made, there were locks on the bridge. And Dylan appears by her side and she kind of looks over at him and she's like, so what was the connection to Elkhorn Corporation where the safe was? And oh, We're still explaining this movie? <laughs> yeah, apparently because we still don't know what's going on. And he says they made the metal that went into the safe and they chose to cut corners on their metal when they were making it that affected the integrity of it. And they knew that they were putting it into production. And so once the safe was submerged, uh, Lionel Strike wasn't able to complete his trick and he wasn't able to get out of the safe. So they're responsible for his death. Right. Or she, he feels like they are. And she has this realization through a various series of flashbacky things that he, that Dylan is Lionel Strike's son that was left. Yeah. That was my first guess. I right. mean, my first guess was Lionel Strike was still alive, but it was getting to be his son or like his wife. And yeah. uh, now you don't. Part two. No. <laughs> now you see me. And he's, this makes it even more ridiculous, because how would his son wire up the card before he was even born, presumably? I don't think the card's wired. I think he just turned on the carousel when it started to I glow. Know, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently it's this very long con. And he tells her, like, I know rationally you should turn me in. Like, that should be what's happening. It's the most rational thing to do. And she's like, it definitely is, but I've never been one for particularly rational things. She's terrible. Which, I hate her as an investigator like, agent. Yeah, right. I read my notes. I was like, that makes her an odd choice for Interpol, I suppose. <laughs> oh, I, I, I like the law. I like enforcing the law, but only when I feel like. Otherwise, I've never been really rational about law enforcement. Like, then why are you an Interpol agent? Why do they pick you for this assignment? You are uh, terrible at your job. So you're the one that robbed everybody, but I'm not going to turn you in. I like magic. Instantly it's cool. <laughs> compromised. Instantly compromised by his, I'm guessing, mediocre looks. <laughs> I mean, it's Mark Ruffalo. 
Depends on how you yeah, feel okay. about Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> He's fine. He's got, you know, daddy energy, He's but I wouldn't guy, call yeah. him. <laughs> right. I wouldn't call him like a honkasaurus. Semi-ruggedly handsome. <laughs> yeah. He's fine. He's not an unattractive man. I wouldn't call him like a hottie, a super hottie. Uh, don't write it, everybody. I mean, we don't, like, people have different opinions. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad. It's fine. I like Mark Ruffalo. I don't think he's the kind of guy where a woman walks in and she's like, ooh, I'm suddenly compromised by him. I'm giving up all my principles for Mark Ruffalo. I knew he's enough romantic comedy movies that people could argue otherwise. He's the Hulk, Sam. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, so was Edward Norton. We see how that turned out. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And that other guy. There are a lot of Hulk movies. What do you mean that other guy? There was another Hulk. You mean Lou Ferrigno? No. In between them. That one movie. Remember how there was uh, Edward Norton and then there was the other movie back to back where there were like two Hulks? Oh, yeah. No, I don't remember the other one. I remember the angry one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was another one. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, well, sure. Anyway, let me finish this movie because there's literally like one line left in this movie. (laughs) No, I want to sit here and talk about Mark Ruffalo's attractiveness for a little bit longer. I mean, that's fine, too. We could be a Mark Ruffalo podcast. He's great. All right. Anyway, the point is, I, I find that she's a terrible agent with no willpower. I don't disagree. So they put a lock on the bridge, toss the key into the river. The camera follows it, showing all the keys along the riverbed, and then the movie fades to black, and there's a little speech about close-up magic at the end. <laughs> Great. I'm very disappointed in this movie, Danielle. <laughs> Would be. It held so much premise as a heist movie. But you're like, oh, they're gathering the crew. But you were right. None of them use any of their specialities in any interesting way, with the exception of the hypnotist, who didn't use them in interesting ways. He was just playing magic. Yeah. And I would recommend a watch for, like, Woody Harrelson is just being kind of great as the no, mentalist. This totally sounds like it's a lot it. of fun. Yeah, it's fun to watch. But the second I, I spend any time thinking about any of their motivations or the plan itself, I'm instantly upset. Yeah, I would 100% agree. It's like so much potential and they could have they could have been so fun. Like I said, Italian job with magicians would have been or great. Like Ocean's Eleven Ocean's where they Eleven the with crew. magician, exactly. Yeah, no. Ugh. And uh, the whole like revenge thing... <sighs> Yeah, so theoretically, these characters decided to take on someone else's revenge scheme for Right, they all flew in with the strikes just to help them avenge the death of his father, which, you know, cool, but the eye isn't real, real, maybe, or maybe it is real, I don't know, but they didn't know that when they were doing this, clearly. Yeah, I will admit that I am actually very curious to watch uh now you don't. Maybe it's called that. Um, because I don't I, think it is. I feel like I think it's maybe called Now You See Me Too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Now You See Me Too, but I'm going to call it Now You Don't. Um, because I feel like maybe it would explain some stuff. I'm curious if it's a whole new plot or if it actually goes further. Maybe it explains a lot of the stuff from the first one. Maybe they focus on the character. Maybe it's a stronger sequel that happens occasionally. Sure. Why not? <laughs> This feels like it wants to be kind of like Mission Impossible, the original one. Mm-hmm. It has that vibe. Not the original original. The original Tom Cruise one, Mission Impossible yeah. one. Yeah, I know. But just for clarity, because there's a lot of Mission Impossible out there, is that I felt like it wanted to be that where they had all that stuff happen in the first opening scene with the whole plan going wrong and people supposedly dying. And then surprise, they all didn't die. It's a whole fake thing and all this stuff was happening, right? Yes. But it didn't earn that in any way. <laughs> no. There's not really a lot of like... I guess Mark Ruffalo... Being somehow involved is kind of a twist, but I don't know. Then you go look back on it and you're like, does any of that make sense? If no, he's that's the my plot, point. If like, he's the twist. <laughs> and this whole convoluted revenge plot was ridiculous. Like, there are so many better ways to get revenge. <laughs> 
Are there? I mean, they stole everybody's money that screwed over his father. Yeah, but he could just like, I don't know, murdered them. He could have done like a, a saw thing, made them disappear. Whatever. <laughs> it's like a magician saw. You know how, okay, this is what I just decided from this conversation. Almost every movie is better if you just put magicians into it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's test this theory. Then I'll name a movie. I mean, Magician Saw is about as wild as you're going to get. I think that's a really good example. I don't know. I think Magician Schindler's List is pretty great. Oh, no. Hey, where did all these prisoners go? Oh, they disappeared. They're free. I mean, that would be good with close-up yeah, magic. Yes. <laughs> magic to save all the, all the concentration campers. That's great. I love that plan. <laughs> a terrible movie idea. Okay, so maybe not every movie is better with, with Magician Danielle. <laughs> They're all, like, more interesting, perhaps. <laughs> uh, certainly more intriguing. <laughs> what would speed be like with magicians? There's a bomb on this bus. <laughs> no, there isn't. <laughs> Where? I feel like most action movies are already kind of like magic, the way things just sort of work <laughs> out true. for them. So it doesn't really change much. What you need is like, I don't know, love actually with magicians. Titanic with magicians. Titanic with magicians. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> There's only so much room left for the lifeboat. Well, looks like I'm already on one. <laughs> Now Sorry, on, now bye. Now I'm on, now i on, now on, on. <laughs> like one of your French girls. Hey, where'd my clothes go? <laughs> that was impressive, Jack. You made my clothes disappear. Uh, what a rogue. <laughs> no, Jack was the rogue. I know, you just said Jack. Oh, okay. No. Well, I guess... Uh, I, you, <laughs> See what I did there? You got me there. <laughs> Listeners, if you're a magician... <laughs> Or an illusionist. Or you want to weigh in on what movie you think would be better with magicians, uh, please write in. Tell oh, us. Gosh. We'd love to hear yeah. what your ideas are for improving movies with magicians. <laughs> Tell us your movie plots with magicians that uh, make them better, please. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you have that idea, you can find us at bookretorts.com. Or you can tweet at us, Facebook, Instagram us, at bookretorts. Oh, well, until next time, abracadabra, bye. Now you see us, now you don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's an ending. Also, I know way more about magicians than I thought. You know a lot. I was kind of impressed. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you just pick things up. <laughs> you do, Sam. You do. <laughs>